welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gilner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by Athletes Brand. Athletes Brand works with pro athletes to design some awesome t-shirts and then donate the proceeds to a charity. But what really caught my attention was the amount of effort they put into the charity component of their products. Athletes Brand educates about the cause, says what the money I'm spending is going toward within the cause, and then follow up with how the cause actually spent the money afterwards. September's new release by Athletes Brand is a collaboration with baseball player Brandon Barnes to help fight human trafficking. Every purchase of the shirt that says, quote, save our children, they are not for sale, benefits Operation Underground Railroad, which exists to help find and rescue children that were abducted and put into sex trafficking. Visit athletesbrand.com in September and your proceeds will help fund these efforts. For more, follow Athletes Brand on Instagram at Athletes Brand. On today's show, we have on David Jeans, head baseball coach for De La Salle High School in California. David is an industrial engineer by trade and after pursuing that for several years, started coaching a sixth grade basketball team. This led him to coaching football at De La Salle during the Bob Lattister era, which is one of the most successful dynasties in high school football history. He worked his way up the ranks and became the head baseball coach at De La Salle in 2012. And since then, they have reached the title game every year and won it in 2012, 14, 16, 17, 18, and 19. So on the show, we discuss how being a football coach under Coach Ladd helped him to establish a, quote, development first program. We discuss how being an engineer has helped him with practice plan design in limited space, and we dive deep into what being a Spartan looks like on a daily basis. You're gonna love this episode with David Jeans. David, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me on. Um, anytime we can talk high school sports, uh, for me is, is awesome. So thanks for, thanks for reaching out. Absolutely. And, you know, before we, we hit the record button, I started to geek out a little bit, uh, because you were a De La Salle football coach and, and a couple of years ago, I, you know, I, I went on through the journey of when the game stands tall. So I like watched the movie and then read through all the books and you were, you got to be a, a really, really like cool part of that while that was going on. And, and now you're the head coach at De La Salle for baseball which is so, so cool. Uh, and so again, welcome to the show. And, and I'm really excited to, to get to learn from you and to get to grow uh, together with you today. But can you give us a short snapshot of, you know, how you got there and then why you decided to get into coaching? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a graduate of Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. I'm an industrial engineer. Um, I played a little fall baseball at, at Cal Poly and uh, the time just didn't work out uh, with my engineering classes. Uh, so I gave it up. And uh, one of my best friends uh, started coaching a sixth grade basketball team. And he was like, hey, we're not very good, but I need some help. You know, I, I want to try this. And, and I helped him. And uh, it worked out well. I loved it. And so after that, um, some of those same kids' fathers also did baseball. And they said, hey, you guys did such a great job coaching basketball. Would you, would you be willing to coach some Babe Ruth baseball? <clears throat> and uh, my buddy was more of a basketball guy and I was more of a baseball guy. But we kind of double switched. So he goes, hey, I'll help you if you go do baseball. 
And so I switched over there and started coaching baseball at Babe Ruth in San Luis Obispo uh, in the in the early 90s and uh, loved it. Uh, we, had, we had major success. Uh, we almost won it all. Um, I ended up becoming president of Babe Ruth Baseball while, while I was in college and uh, just had a blast with it. Uh, but how I got to De La Salle, I mean – after I graduated, reality hits, you go do your job stuff. And I was in industry for, I don't know, six or seven years. And um, my head JV football coach from high school took a new job, Clayton Valley, which is near De La Salle. And he was like, I really need some help. And so I decided to get back into it. Uh, I became the offensive coordinator there uh, for football. And then um, we brought on a guy, Bob Ralston, who uh, – was an all American at Arizona and uh, he, he ended up being the head coach at Clayton Valley. He, so he coached football with me. Uh, his, his uncle was a big time coach at Stanford, John Ralston. Um, and so he helped me out with my wide receivers. I helped him out with his freshman baseball and I learned a lot from him. And uh, a couple years later, I decided to give up my engineering to become a teacher and I had a good uh, friend, uh, Joe Aliotti, um, at De La Salle. He's one of the coaches on the football team, and he's the dean of students. said, hey, we got a physics job open, and uh, you could be freshman football coach and JV baseball coach. And that was in 2001. So I, I came over then. Oh, I love that. And, and again, I, I love to he get to – interview people with different backgrounds and so it's it's so interesting that you're you know you're an engineer by trade and then you decided to you know just I, I feel like you may have been just called back to coaching which is really really neat and so right now you're a physics in instructor and so tell I, I'm really curious how does being a physics instructor help you as a baseball coach oh, well uh, it's kind of interesting it's just you know, the, the physics is just problem solving. It's observations and problem solving. And, um, you know, that translates well to what we do. Uh, again, I'm an industrial engineer, which is kind of an efficiency expert. Um, so I'll get into that with my baseball field and, and running practices and things like that. Um, it, it, it just helps from, from observing stuff, seeing everything that's going on in the field, uh, my, I, I did sales engineering, so that helped me with some of my relationship stuff with uh, observing uh, kids and their emotions and their needs and things like that. Um, so it all kind of fit well together from, from a planning standpoint and then from a, a personal standpoint. And then uh, De La Salle was just kind of the missing piece for me uh, from a coaching standpoint. Um, the, the stuff that I learned – uh, as a football coach here is, is just unbelievable. Um, you know, when I look back at Bob Latticer and Terry Edson, and like I said, uh, Justin Allenbaugh, who's now the head coach uh, here, it was kind of the missing piece for me in terms of, uh, of, of team atmosphere and, and growth as a student. Uh, so I took a lot from those guys um, as I started progressing. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it was a long journey to become the head coach, the head baseball coach here. Uh, after I started doing uh, football, I, I was the freshman football coach for nine years. Um, I did baseball here for a little bit. Uh, we had a change um, and I applied for the job and I didn't get it. Um, 
So I, I, I coached a little bit more here for freshmen. Then there was another change. Um, Orange Lutheran head coach, uh, Eric Borba, had the job here. And uh, I applied for the job a second time, didn't get it. Um, so I went uh, to the JC ranks. I coached a year. Um, the job opened up again, and uh, I applied for it again and did not get it. So I actually applied for the job three times um, and didn't get the job. Um, while I was teaching at, at Dale Sal, um, I went back over to Clayton Valley with Bob Ralston. Uh, he was done coaching at uh, a community college that I helped at, and, and we had some success over there. And then the job opened up again here at Dale Sal, and and I applied for the fourth time and, and got it in 2012. Oh, I love that. And they've got you since 2012, and you guys have had a ton of success uh, since then. So I, I just, to be honest, I, I love getting to hear your background just because it is so interesting. And obviously it, it has made you to who you are now, which is really, uh, uh, you know, a really unique background, which is really, really cool. But let's talk about what that vision started. Uh, and you did have a little bit of background at De La Salle because you were a sub varsity coach I, I, and may, maybe helped with varsity. I think you said you were a sub varsity coach there. And so you were familiar with the program. You were familiar with the traditions there. So I'm sure that helped you whenever you came back. But let's say like you interviewed, you got the job. What were your first steps? Like when you got back on campus and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to, you know, this is how we're going to start. This is what we're going to, this is the vision that I have. And these are the things that I want to implement as soon as I get to campus. And can you kind of walk us through what that process was like? Sure. I mean, uh, I think the biggest part was that missing piece of what De La Salle gave me from the football side. Uh, you know, we get kids from all over the place and, and, and people think we, we get ready-made baseball players and football players, and it, it's really not the case. And now, don't get me wrong, we get some, some good people as freshmen, you know, Devin Asiasi uh, is now the tight end for the New England Patriots and, you know, Austin Hooper and and Justin Hooper, those guys, those guys were good coming in as freshmen, but it's 90% of the other guys. And what I learned from football was the development side. And so I was able to take my experiences from being freshman football coach and seeing those football players develop in Bob Lasseter's program. And when I got the job for baseball, I said, I was going to mimic that. I was going to try to uh, take a lot of that development philosophy from Bob and uh, and work it into a baseball program. And so it was kind of a big picture deal. Uh, most people, when they take a job, they worry about their varsity players. And uh, we made it into a whole program. So I'm, I'm with my freshman guys all the time. Uh, we usually have about uh, 70 kids try out for freshman baseball. We have two teams that we have and, uh, I, that just that development side, that workout, uh, that full full year round uh, dedication uh, that the football team does to to achieve their success. So that I, I was bringing that baseball kind of community side baseball knowledge to the Bob Latticer, uh, De La Salle um, development of players, and then you throw on what we do here as teachers at De La Salle in the development of kids, and it was kind of like the perfect storm. Well, perfect. I love that. So whenever you say 
you, you, so you guys have two teams and you're with the freshmen a lot. Do you guys practice together most days? I mean, how, how does that work? <laughs> Can you kind of walk us through the ins and outs a little bit? Yeah, most people, that, uh, when they hear about Dale South, they think about the football program, which is awesome. Um, if you come to – most people, when they come to our school, they kind of – they don't laugh at us, but they're kind of like, wow, this is where you guys play football. Um, our home stands are inside the track. So they're not outside of the track like most normal high school. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, We're limited weird. on space. And so the baseball field is kind of pushed right up against the football field and the track. And we only have one field. So most schools, you know, are lucky enough to have two baseball fields and we only have one and we have four teams practice on it. So before daylight savings time, it gets to be hard. Uh, so you have a lot of moving pieces. And so we kind of overlap our practices. So, the varsity will start. They'll run through their their throwing program. <clears throat> they'll do their individual defense. But then when they start to hit, the JVs will come on and they'll play live defense. And so they get that speed of the game. And then what happens is when we're done hitting, then the JVs will hit and the freshmen will come on and play live defense. So it's kind of that, you know, we normally have 100 guys on our baseball field. Sometimes at once, you know, we use the parking lot. We use back behind the fence, um, anything we can. So the dynamics of practice is, 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 is tougher. You know, we have some batting cages and we rotate around, but we have guys moving all the time. That's really neat. And uh, with, with the amount of kids that you've got, so you've got 100 kids, is it almost, is it almost like, station work a little bit. So I, so I'm a former football coach too. And I'm just thinking of all the different pieces that are going on and basically switching back into the different segments, you know, every five or 10 minutes or blocks. And then you've got different coaches coaching the same stations and all the, all that is moving is the players or the, the coaches can move with them too, but everything is very segmented and everything is like fast paced moving around. That's kind of what I'm picturing. Am I picturing the right thing? Yeah, it's super fast. So I, I, I can't stand right now. We're starting fall ball. We're actually on the field right now, which is nice with the COVID stuff happening. And I, I just can't stand kids walking around. And so there's a toughness that's built around. And I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to prepare them for a varsity practice in the pace of it. And obviously I have incoming freshmen that have no idea. And we could talk about that a little bit, <clears throat> but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I have a catching coordinator that, that works with both uh, JV and frost catchers. You know, we have pitching coaches that will work with both. Like I said, we, we do it more as a program now. So kids can hear a, a similar voice and, you know, they, they know what the expectations are. So we're not recreating something by the time they get to varsity. By the time they get to varsity, they should just they should know what we expect. They just got to get a feel for the speed. I really like that a lot. So you're preparing them to be a varsity baseball player from the minute that they step on. And that way they're not, they're not wowed with, you know, what's going on. They're just, they're having to just adjust to the speed. So everything else is exactly the same. So have you, have you felt like you've been able to have players that are younger step in earlier because of that? Uh, yeah, we, I have kind of a process for that. Um, for one thing I want to take a step back. 
we take kids and we want to prepare them. Uh, we, we tell them we're not preparing you to be a high school player. We're preparing you to be a college player. So the expectation is not, you know, when you step on our campus, if you're going to play freshman baseball, your expectation should be that you're going to be a college player. Just like if you were going to go to college, your expectation should be that you're going to be a pro. And so we, we try to hammer that all the time. This is what they're going to expect. You know, I, I'm lucky I have with the De La Salle name. I have a lot of relationships out there with the college guys and I kind of know what they expect. And from a toughness standpoint and movement standpoint, uh, from a lifting standpoint. And so like we tell the kids, man, you, you're, you're getting ready for a practice with uh, John Savage at UCLA or, you know, check um, it's at Santa Barbara or, or, um, you know, a number of other places out there. So it, it's fun. It's fun. It, get, getting the parents to buy into that and getting the kids to buy into that, that's another piece of it. You know, that's harder. And that normally takes two or three years. Mm-hmm. So normally we don't have younger guys that could step right in. Um, yeah. From a talent standpoint, they can. But from a mental standpoint, usually we have to develop guys. I have – I've had two guys uh, come in as freshmen. Uh, Blake Burke, he, he's been a four-year starter. He's going to be a senior for me. And then Justin Hooper, he actually started on JVs, but he was throwing like 86, 87 miles an hour as a freshman, and he would hurt somebody. But even Justin Hooper did not play much as a freshman uh, just because from a mental standpoint, you know, being able to handle what we do here. Uh, takes two or three years. It really does. So, no, that's really, really good. And uh, again, there, there, I, I need to come watch you guys practice because it sounds like a lot of fun to be able to, to see all the different moving parts. So with, with, with that, you've got a ton of different moving parts. How do you, how do you make sure everybody knows where they're going? Cause I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you've got a hundred different players. Uh, do you rely on the coaches to make sure that they have that uh, beforehand do you have to teach the coaches or, or coach the coaches on all of these different things that are going on and I mean just what's your process as the head of the program to try and especially because we're in the fall now so there may be some listeners who want to do something similar as far from a development standpoint how would they implement something similar to what you're doing well everything we do is, is skill set based okay and that, I talk about that with my players everything is a tool Okay, so as you develop players, uh, you're just trying to increase their tool set uh, to become better baseball players when they when they get into a game. And so we just use our coaches to, to, to build those tools. Like yesterday, all we did was push bunt, you know, <laughs> for it was like 45 minutes, uh, just technique and individual skill sets for the fall. And then when we can go when we get into the spring, uh, hopefully. Um, you know, we can we can jump around from one skill set to the next or whatever we think we need with that team. Uh, every team is different. So the philosophy of the program and the process is the same. But the skill sets that we teach may change year to year, depending on on the players and what we do to to, to, to try to win. You know, we, we tell the kids if every decision you make in your life helps us to win, you're making a correct decision. And so and that's working on weaknesses or turning in homework or being a good kid in the, you know, in the lunchroom. 
uh, picking up garbage or something like that. If every decision you make helps us to win, that means not throwing your bat or not getting mad at the umpire because we want the next pitch. And that's that maturity level. So, yeah, practices, by the time spring comes around, we should be okay. Now, we don't get to be with our players technically uh, in the fall. We don't get baseball practice like a lot of places do. Okay. We have to learn that in the weight room. We're huge in the weight room. So one of the big things that I took from Bob Lattisher in the football program was we were going to develop kids in the weight room. So people tend to think of us as a big physical team. And so uh, I was one of the first ones that even the football program didn't do weights with freshmen in the beginning. They do it now. Um, but I jumped them on it. We, we learned tech. Mark Wine is outstanding as a strength and conditioning guy here. And so our freshmen will work technique on lifts for six months. And then by the time they become sophomores, you know, they have the technique down so they can start working stuff a little bit. And then by the time they're juniors, they start building intent with lifting. And then by the time they're seniors, they're, you know, they're big and physical and strong. And we kind of do the same thing with our baseball process. Uh, we take them as freshmen and we we go slow with them and teach them like how to go from point A to point B, how to go to mass fungos, you know, how to pick up a baseball or, you know, shag baseballs. We don't shag baseballs, but pick up baseballs and how quickly we do it. Um, so it's all skill set based. And by the time you're a sophomore, junior, you're kind of understanding the speed. Most of that comes from the weight room. Uh, picking up the weight room, helping each other out, um, encouraging each other, you know, closing the door, turning off the lights. Um, for me, all those things are big and it translates to our practices. So when people and coaches are discussing culture and I think that, you know, obviously that, that it seems to be a popular buzzword right now. And I know that you've, that you've heard that a lot, you know, we want to build a culture. We want to do all, all of these different things. And it's all of that, all of those things that you've mentioned, I think are a big part of that. And to me, I think culture is behavior, belief, and experiences of those who are in the program, right? And, and those, those three things make up culture. And so tell us a little bit about uh, just your vision for that. So your vision for the behavior, belief, and experiences that you want De La Salle players to have. And, and like you just mentioned, and I'm, I'm really piggybacking on what you just said, which is we want them to do things a certain way. So how do you teach that? Well, I, I don't think it's it's just the baseball. I think it's the school. Um, people usually say about De La Salle kids, hey, when I, when I talk to a kid, I kind of know that he went to De La Salle. And that, that's the culture we want to build. And so we want kids to graduate, and, and not necessarily baseball. I teach, you know, 125 physics students, and some of them are my baseball guys, but a lot of them aren't. Um, we want kids to be able to look you in the eye, to be able to speak to you, um, you know, to be, to have some empathy, uh, to think of others first, uh, to think of the team first. Um, we want them to be, we want, we, we want men to grow up to be, you know, good fathers and, and, and go to, go to a job that people depend on them. That's the culture of the school. And, you know, Bob Lattister helped build that, but the whole school buys into it. And so our teachers have no problem coming to me about my baseball players and going, hey, 
this guy was late. This guy's talking out of turn. And so the, the baseball field is just the, an extension of the classroom and what we're trying to produce in men. And uh, both my boys went here and I would not trade that investment for anything in the world. Um, I always tell people, hey, you can either invest in high school at De La Salle or invest in college. And they're more impressionable as high school students and you can change them more and mold them more. Um, I think when you go off to college, you know, you're starting to be the person you're, you are. Um, so it's the culture of the school. And then just from a baseball standpoint, I think I bring that football, that, that toughness, that grit, the, the confidence. I don't want to call it swagger, but it's kind of like, hey, we're going to compete and we're going to get after it. So you kind of mix those two together for our culture. You know, that team camaraderie, that that nice guy, you know, we're not a bunch of talkers. Um, you know, we, we've gotten beat by a lot of good teams. We've got no hit. You tip your hat and you move on and you get better from it. Um, but we expect to win. We expect, we expect to play hard and we, we want to do it the right way. You know, some of the things I see on Twitter now and just would, would not fit us. Um, in fact, I got on one of my players cause you know, he did a little thing. He, I don't think he meant to do it, but I called him on it. He was in another state playing baseball, and I'm like, hey, dude, that's not a good look. It's just not who we are. You know, you're trying to get recruited, and you're coming from De La Salle. you got to represent, you know, even if you're playing for somebody else. Well, what was his response? No, he, he was totally – he was fine with it. You know, he's a kid still. He, he, he's a junior. Or he's just becoming a junior, and he's with a bunch of other guys, and it, it's easy to get sucked up into that. And, and I don't really blame him because, again, he's he's a young man. He's learning. Um, he's super respectful. And he was just like, yes, coach, I understand. I understand. You know, so it's just it's always learning experiences, which is why we do sports. You know, we're trying to build men. We're not we're not my my ultimate goal is not to have a pro guy in, in you know, playing in the pros. It's it's having good husbands and good brothers and things like that. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, again, I, I mentioned earlier, and, and you've mentioned a bunch of different times that, that you learned under Coach Ladd. And I remember this, for some reason, this just came up off, off the top of my head is uh, because I tried this as a, as a freshman coach, a, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. But they, he, and I called, stole this from Coach Ladd in the book, he used to use these note cards that would have, uh, I can't remember what, what was on them, but it's like a, their extra work, I think is what we called it. And they would have their like weekly goals and then they would give them to someone else. Can you, can you tell our listeners a, a little bit about that? Maybe I'm completely off base, but I vividly remember reading about that in the book. And I don't know if he still did that whenever you were coaching with him. No, we, we still do that. Those are called commitment cards. Yeah, that's what it was. Tell us a little bit about we, that. We bring a little bit of that in our baseball program, too. And, it, yeah, I mean, he's amazing at, at bringing groups of kids together and, and demanding excellence and writing it down. It's really hard to state a goal out loud and then to the world and say, hey, this is what I want to accomplish, because you may not do that. You may not accomplish it. You may, but you may not. So there's a risk in that. And so he brought that to his team. Their commitment cards, they do them weekly. And they have to commit to a teammate. They have to stand up and commit to a teammate. Um, there's, there's, there's 
playing goals, there's practice goals, there's lifting goals. So it's not just necessarily, hey, I'm going to get three interceptions, uh, you know, in the game. It's just not feasible. Uh, but it could be, hey, I'm, I'm not going to miss a tackle. You know, I'm not going to let go of a guy. Um, in practice, I'm, I'm going to run hard on my, I'm on my gassers and make my time every single time. And then you stand up and you commit it to a teammate. And the hard part is being held accountable by that teammate now. So that's the hard part about being a kid. So th that teammate's going to hold you accountable. He's going to help you to reach your goals. And then the following week, you have to stand up and say whether you did it or not. So for, for high school kids, that's, that's a difficult thing to do at first. Mm -hmm. you get over that hump, man, you become, a, like I said, a good worker and a good husband and, and a good brother. No, that's really cool. And I remember, you know, doing that in uh, several different years ago. I don't know why I stopped. I, I think because it's I think it's really hard to keep up, like unless you're completely 100 percent fully invested in that. It, it does take a lot of time to do all of those goals and share them out. And so for, you know, for listeners who hear that and, and are like, oh, well, I'm not going to do it now. How, how have you been like, when do you find time to be able to do that? Uh, like I said, we don't do it as much. We do it more um, at our team meetings and stuff like that. Okay. So we'll do it like once every two weeks, or things like that. We'll, we'll open up and talk. Um, they got it dialed, man. They, I mean, they're amazing coaches and uh, they make time for it. They, and part of what makes De La Salle special, and it goes back to our educational process. And I hate to use the word, but it, we're grinders. I mean, the football program is all about blocking and tackling in, in one step at a time for your first step, your second step for the lineman. For us, it's grounders. It's coming downhill. It's two-strike approach. It's reading ball and dirt. It's going first to third. You know, it's throwing a 3-2 breaking ball and, and being able to do that over and over and over and over again. So for me in the classroom, it's my physics problems. You know, don't just get ready for the test. you got to be able to over and over and over again. And so that that's just a common theme throughout the school. Well, and for me, I think that it sounds like they're on the pursuit of mastery. They're not just trying to check a box, which I think that, you know, if, if I may get off, off on a little tangent, because I, I have been like this and still continue to fight it, is it's like, okay, we read this book and we check the box and we post it on Twitter that we read the book, but what do we actually get from it? you know, or, or we take the course and we, you know, we get certified, but how are we actually using it? And I think that's where, you know, that's where great baseball players and great coaches, great learners uh, separate themselves is because they take the relevant information and apply it to their everyday life on their pursuit of mastery in whatever subject that you're talking about. So whether it's physics, whether it's baseball, whether it's, you know, blocking and tackling or, or whatever it is, they're continuing to do the little things that add up to what you know the process that that what you deem uh, is important to the end goal which is mastery of whatever you're trying to so i love that and that's been that's been one of my uh, pursuits lately of trying to really narrow down my focus of information flow and instead get really as good as i can with that and and i think that that's what we truly want for our players too uh and 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 so i i love that that you hit on that because I, I think that that's truly, truly important. I think and a big so, part. I think yeah, go ahead. Another added part 
is the adaptability. And so Bob Lattisher did a great job for a lot of years, but towards the last 10 years, he, he had to change his program a lot um, in, in terms of, you know, what plays he ran and uh, defenses, you know, as, as the competition kicked up, uh, those guys are really, really smart too. You know, they're not just football guys that are going out there and doing the same thing over and over again. They're continuously looking for different ways. I mean, when I first started uh, here at De La Salle in 2012, I was, I was more of a small ball guy and, you know, and we do that well, um, but I've adapted um, some of the philosophy and how much time I put into certain things uh, because of the, the teams that we have to beat. Um, we, we always say that we need to be able to beat a guy that throws 92 miles an hour with a slider. So we need that skill set. And unfortunately, the one, the one game we lost last year before we got shut down, uh, we lost to a guy like that. And, uh, yeah, that's tough. We didn't have time to prepare and, and, and we tip, tip our hat to him. But yeah, I mean, he did a great job. He was 91, 92 miles an hour. And after the third inning, he completely pitched us backwards. And so he was throwing three, one sliders to our eight hitter. And we just didn't have enough time to prepare for that. And so that's the kind of fun part, uh, you know, and, and being able to adapt your game and how you practice or what you do from a strength and conditioning standpoint. I'm completely different than when, when I started for strength and conditioning uh, to get our players ready and, um, and bigger and stronger. And so the football coaches have done a great job of that. And I've learned, that, it, it, you know, you had just stupid saying, but adapt or die. Oh, it's so, so good. So let's, let's dig in on that a little bit, David, because I, I think that there's so much wisdom in that because, you know, whenever you decide to adapt, it, it's gotta be, you know, it's, it's gotta be a well-informed decision. Like, like you're talking about, you, you have these ideas that you want and then you're realizing, okay, we need to shift. And it's, there's a big difference between doing that and just ch trying to chase every rabbit and not being good at anything. And so let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit and go back to 2012. Whenever you first got hired, you said that, you know, you wanted to focus on small ball fundamentals, which I'm sure you guys still do because you talked about, you know, being able to fill the ground ball and do these different things. But tell us, uh, tell us some different ways and some different things that you have done differently since then that have made the most impact for your program. Uh, I think it's stuff outside of, of practice and things like that. It's I carry a huge team. So normally I have 34 to 36 guys on my team. Okay, right? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And so just creating competition – I, I run this program more like a college program where there's always another guy coming in to take your job. <clears throat> and so that first year I was more like, okay, I got my varsity team. I have my guys. They were really good. We won it that year. Um, but I, I, I changed to create a culture of competition in, in that, you know, it's not just about your grade level, you know, cause a lot of kids come in as freshmen, they go, oh, I'm pretty good compared to that kid that's in the freshman class. I'm not thinking about sophomores right now, or I'm not thinking about that eighth grader that's coming in. Um, and so just that thought process of, of competition. So outside uh, in the weight room, always competing in the classroom, always competing. 
um, I was just kind of behind the curve. So it, it was funny. It took me um, a couple of years to get it going. And, and so we won it our first year. We lost in the championship or our second year. We won it our third year. We lost in the championship. And look, we've been lucky. We've won four straight after that. But maybe part of that is, you know, the freshmen buying into the whole system and, and the whole bit of competition. So. So what are some besides look at, well, and I think that, that let's, let me highlight a point uh, for the guest is they're not, you know, when you're segmented and you're the best player on the field, on a freshman field by yourself, when you're not seeing the varsity guys every single day, uh, that's kind of what you're talking about is, is you start to get the, you know, big fish in a small pond syndrome. Uh, and then the next year you're just completely blown away if you do get to practice with the varsity and you're like, oh gosh, you know, and it's the same thing with, with every level that you go up. And so I, I, besides seeing that internal competition with not only themselves, but with the other players around them, are there any, you know, competitions that you do in practice that you, that you really try and highlight that and be like, Hey guys, King of the Hill today, let's, let's see who's, who's going to get the job done and to kind of drive that a little bit further. Yeah, that's our Saturdays. And so with the team of 35, I've, I think I've, advanced a little bit in bringing younger guys up sophomores usually that aren't going to play much. Um, you know, I sit them down and I actually ask them, Hey, this is, this is the opportunity for you. You can be a sophomore on varsity, maybe hardly ever play. You might pinch run, uh, every, every game or go down on JVs and be a star. And to credit the kids, most of them say we'll be on varsity and not play. And so what we do is on Saturdays, usually I have 14 to 17 pitchers on my team. And with two games a week, you're not using, you know, two thirds of those guys. So we play against each other every Saturday and the kids really like that. I mean, they, they want to pitch against certain kids, certain kids want to hit against certain pitchers. And, you know, they talk about it in the classroom um, and they can't wait for a Saturday. That's, that sophomore who doesn't play much in a game gets to, you know, face a Kyle Harrison or a Justin Hooper or somebody they, that, you know, they kind of looked up to and, and they build their confidence from that. So that that's the, that's the, you know, I don't do a lot of fancy stuff in practice. I think it's, it's all about competing. And so those Saturday, we play every Saturday during, during the season. Oh, that's really good. I love that. So let's, let's talk a little bit, about uh just you know obviously some some different aspects of your program but i want to get into game planning uh if we could because a a good friend of mine the other day you know we were talking about just different game planning uh just different things that we were doing from uh just a, a getting ready to to face x pitcher you know so uh and and he's a high school coach and he was like how can we how can we use this as high school coaches to be able to do that and here in Oklahoma, they play five days a week. Uh, when I coached in Texas, it was a little bit easier because you played two or three times a week. So you had a little bit of time in between. Tell us how many days of the week you guys play. And then tell us about, uh, let's say that that tomorrow, or let's say, let's see, today is Tuesday. So let's say that on Friday, we're facing the the guy that you saw on your last game, who's 90-92 with a slider, who's pitching you backwards. How are you getting ready to face that guy? And then kind of take us through what a game planning meeting would look like for you. 
Well, we only play usually like two games a week. Sometimes there's three. So I create a scout schedule in the beginning of the year, and I personally will go and, and watch teams and uh, and evaluate, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. I take – I have a an engineering notebook that I do all my scouting on. And so that, that came from the football side because I, I would actually scout for Bob Lattisher. I would go and film games for him when I was the freshman coach. So I think having information is huge. Um, I think you can skew. I, I try to skew the percentages in baseball. So if I have a, I don't know, a 57% chance of winning this next game, mm-hmm. my preparation and the kids' preparation and the advanced scouting, if I can skew that 10%, to 67%, that helps us. And it might be that we only have 20% chance of winning, but I can get it to 30 uh, by preparing. And so our advanced knowledge on our, our opponents is is a lot. <laughs> uh, we get tendencies. We get, you know, the when they like to hit and run, when they do this, when they do that, what to look for. And then we'll incorporate that um, into our game plan, into our, our practice plans to do that. Uh, we last year, just as an example of how it can cost you, we had to face a tough lefty from uh, another private school, and and he was a major slider guy. He's eighty eight with the slider, but his out pitch was slider. So we, man, we put slider machine on the field, and we hit, 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 and we ended up beating them. And we were able to hit sliders, and our, our lefties were able to hit lefty sliders, which is tough. Um, but then we faced the guy two days later or a day later. Uh, you know, that's that's 91 with the slider from the right side. And I could only we could only take away one of his tools. And so we put the machine on 95 and we get it up there. And, you know, the kids struggle with it uh, for a little bit. But, you know, your your body's adaptable. And so I said, look, we're going to take away his number one tool. We're going to take away his fastball. And then they were smart enough to go backwards on us. And I just we didn't have enough time to put right handed slider machine up. So that's a big part of our program is knowledge of our opponents, who we play, um, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are and, and how we attack that. And, and we teach the kids that we want the kids to be forward thinkers. And so we want them to be able to take a look at their opponents and, and, and kind of adapt to that. And hopefully by the time they've graduated, they can think on their own. Um, and when they move off to, to pro ball or college, you know, they know what they need to get done or what information they need. Oh, that's really neat. And so you go over these different game plans with these, with the players. And ideally I'm, I'm envisioning in my mind that once you give it to them, then the players can start to own that and adapt on the fly in the game. Like, like you just mentioned, you want them to be forward thinkers and be adaptable and you're setting the tone by scouting and giving them different information. Have you seen that that is that they've been able to heighten their awareness in game situations because of the work that you guys are putting in? And if so, how, uh, how can, how can our guests steal a little bit of something from you in regards to that? Well, I, I try to keep it simple. I'll see a number of things, but I, I, I'm a simple kind of teacher. I'm a, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. So I, I try not to throw everything at our players. I try to take away the big thing that our opponents have and then get them to be comfortable on the field when they see it. They're like, okay, no problem. I've seen this before. And, and so 
Normally in baseball, the adaptability during a game doesn't happen that often. Like in the pros, uh, we talk about, you know, adapting pitch to pitch or, or inning to inning. <clears throat> and so for us, usually a kid is who he is. And, and last year they got us because they, the pitching coach and the, and the pitcher did a great job calling the game against us. We were on time for his fastball mm-hmm. and they on us. And, you know, it's a seven inning game. Our kids uh, weren't able to adjust that quickly. So it's a good cat and mouse game and, it, and it's fun uh, for the kids. But my suggestion for your listeners is, you know, take away what, what the other team does best. Make them do something different. And, and we practice the heck out of that. And uh, from there, then our kids are comfortable when they get on the field and they're confident. That's a, that's a big thing for me. I learned that from Bob Ralston. You know, do the little things over and over again so you're, so you're super confident. You know, we want super confident baseball players on the field. Oh, definitely. And I, I know that our listeners have heard the term be their own best coach a million times. And I think that you're really helping them to do that in game. And so another thing that that I think that is really interesting about high school baseball is that you've got a, a, a small group of coaches in a very limited time. And you've got to and you you mentioned this earlier about developing their tools and developing their skills how have you been able to help them with that aspect? Because I think it's a really tough balance. It's, you know, when, when you get to the spring, then it's, I, this is just my opinion. I'd love to hear yours. You start to put that a little bit on the back burner and you still want to develop that, but you're trying to win games and you're trying to develop them while winning games. And then maybe in the fall, it's, it's a little bit flipped because you're so far away from competition. You want to help them develop, you know, in the weight room, like you mentioned, but how have you been able to help them to develop as an individual baseball player within the setting of the team while still trying to win and, and uh, compete at a high level? Well, the, the winning is just the outcome. So we we never really just say, okay, we're going to try to win this game. So it may be that we're developing skill sets um, that give us a better chance at that. But I, I think it's, it's summer stuff, you know, it, it's, it's fall stuff. You know, I want my kids around me all the time. We, for as much as um, the the COVID thing happened, you know, we were able to get on the baseball field some this summer and um, we develop, you you really can allow kids to develop that winning mentality. And uh, that goes back to skill sets. Hey, you didn't move up ball and dirt. Uh, You didn't dive on that play. You didn't wear that pitch. And so that that's the repetition of it. If we waited until spring of their senior year or junior year to do that, we wouldn't be any good. So we have to do that from day one when they're freshmen. So we just we list out all of our skill sets that we want um, for base running. I have 72 things that kids need to know on the basis and I give them a list of them. And obviously, as a freshman, you're not going to know how to run a double squeeze from second base. Um, But if we do it over and over again and we find opportunities for that, especially in game situations uh, during the summer or during the fall, um, it becomes second nature and the kids walk around with confidence because, you know, I'll I'll give that list to my senior shortstop when I go, do you know how to do every one of these? And they're like, oh, yeah, coach, no problem. But if I did that with a, uh, a stud shortstop that's a sophomore, 
he'd probably look at me cross-eyed and go, yeah, I don't know half those things. So it's just a continuous four-year journey. I, I think that's the biggest thing for us is we've turned this program into a four-year developmental program. And so that's including weight room, classroom, um, you know, summer games. Oh, we'll play anybody anywhere. Um, we have good relationships with Southern California, with Reno. Uh, Pete Savage up at Reno High School does an amazing job. Um, the Las Vegas guys. So we'll play all the time just to create those experiences because there's nothing you, you can't develop, you know, winning NCS championship, state championship, unless you play games and try to win those games. So no, I really like that a lot. Try to win games in the summer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And no, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and I love that the different points that you highlighted, highlighted there. So I, I've got a couple of different questions for you uh, before we, we head out and let you go. But I know that, that we're almost an hour in and this is just, you've done an absolute, absolutely fantastic job. And I've loved every single time no, getting, getting to hear, yeah, of course, uh, just about the different things that you do different in your program. Because again, it's, it's none of the things that you're saying are cliches. They're what you're actually doing. They're well thought out and, and you're helping the players become better men and better baseball players simultaneously, which I think can absolutely happen, which is really cool. But for, for you and, and coaching development, I've got a couple of lightning style questions, which are more, and you don't have to do them quickly, but it's more of like, Hey, I'm going to ask you and get out of the way. So what was the biggest lesson that you learned as a young coach? And then how did you, how did you learn from it and get better for it? Uh, from a baseball skill points standpoint, that was, that was Bob Ralston in, in, in doing things over and over again, you know, taking a lot of ground balls, doing your feet work, um, things like that. Um, I think from a development standpoint, I think it was Bob Lattisher in the football program and in the development side. So um, as a younger coach, you know, learning that stuff as I got older and older and putting it all together has kind of gotten us to where we are now. Oh, really cool. So you're able to pull from several different, uh, several different people there, which is neat. What's a drill that your players love that we can steal <laughs> from you and implement later this week if we wanted to? You know, I, 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 I saw that and I asked some of my older players, you know, what it is. Uh -huh. And we don't have a fun drill. <laughs> I mean, everything is hard and difficult. And, and the best one that they said was just our mass fungos. And we did it yesterday and it's hard. The kids, you know, get tired. They're diving every play. They're throwing to bases on every play. You know, we got four hitters going at once. But those mass fungos are where my sophomore builds a relationship with the starting third baseman. And they help each other and they create a bond uh, that they refer back to, um, you know. I talked to one player and he he names the guy that he took ground balls for. And, and that guy's the starting uh, second baseman at Cal Poly, but he, he remembers when he was younger taking ground balls with that guy and them sweating together. Um, so it creates a culture of, of passing things down and just the appreciation of hard work and sweating and being dead tired. Um, so I know that's not a fun one, but 
we get the most out of that one. I think the players love that when they look back on it. Oh, really good. Great answer. And then one thing that I think all of our listeners are learners and they're trying to, you know, get better. And so the, almost every podcast, I think, asks the question of, you know, one book or resources that have helped shape your coaching career. And what, what are a couple, you mentioned a couple of different people, but are there any, you know, books or uh, courses or conventions that have really helped you, uh, help you to become a better coach? Yeah, I mean, one is just the relationships with other coaches. Uh, Coach Carlson up in Oak Grove, like you talked about. Uh, Coach Savage up at Reno. Um, I have my guys, I've had my guys listen to Coach Latticer's speech on team building. Uh, So he's a huge resource. He was a baseball guy too in high school. So he follows us. But um, I've had him uh, speak to our baseball team on team building. He And he talks to like, companies around the country about that. He has a talk on that, which is awesome. There's also, um, there's an author whose sons actually go here and he has some national bestsellers, uh, Patrick uh, Lincini. And um, we're doing the ideal team player right now uh, with our group, which is hard to do uh, because you have to kind of question yourself as a person. He talks about the three main things for an ideal team player is humbleness, hungriness, and, and being smart. And the intermixture of the three, uh, if you can have all three of those things, you get the ideal team player. And then we ask our kids, what do you think you are? You know, do you fit this bill or do you not? And then we have their teammates say what they see. So a lot of times it's different and that's a hard thing to do. So we use some of his books. Um, we're like we said, we're lucky enough that his sons uh, play lacrosse here at this school. So the ideal team player that that is a really interesting one. I'm, I'm going to have to look that one up. But David, again, I, I can't I can't tell you enough how, of how thankful that I am to uh, be able to interview you today, to be able to conversate with you, and to start to develop a relationship, you know, with you as a as a fellow coach and and so hopefully somebody that I can keep in contact with. But for our listeners, I, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell them uh, before you go? No, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I think high school sports um, are one of the greatest avenues to, to affect kids' lives. Um, and, and we have to remember that, you know, we have that ability to do that as coaches. Uh, a kid can go one direction or another. And if, if he plays a sport, whatever it is, and he's part of a team, you know, he, he, it helps him to go in a certain positive direction. And so just just for all of us, just, you know, just being thankful for, for and, and understanding the importance of that job um, is huge. You know, I, I'm thankful that I, I, I built some humility from the guys around here. I've watched them win championship after championship and win 151 games in a row. You know, and they're out blocking and tackling the next day. And so just the humbleness that, that Lianchini talks about and, you know, just the appreciation of, of, of what we do as high school teachers and coaches. I, I think the importance of that to make this place a better place, better world. We got a lot of stuff going on right now. And uh, more than ever, uh, we need good role models on, um, on how to build kids with character and are, are ready to do positive things in this world.
Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.